Greetings, Earthlings. I'm Crystal Clear, the host of More Morgulons. And I'm glad you're here. People. And you're here from all over the world. That's right, people all over the world listen to this show, and I believe it is because they are Morgies. Or they're just like, who the fuck is this weirdo talking about the Holy Ghost and worms and a bunch of crazy shit? This lady needs a fucking psychiatrist. However, I'm quite mentally well. Tend to believe, based upon the comments that I receive and the data that is being gathered from each and every one of us when we do anything on the internet, like listen to a podcast, although in this case, it is actually more than just mere data mining for the purpose of selling you consumer goods. This data that is being gathered and that I have access to could be helpful in our search for answers about Morgulon's disease. Four days ago, I posted an episode called HTLV plus worms equals Morgulons or some shit like that. And it went through in order listenership from the different countries around the world. Interesting, because in 2014, the European CDC did a giant study on HTLV distribution and prevalence across the world. Pretty interesting. A couple other things I want to talk about today. If you don't stay, then I feel sorry, then I feel sorry, sorry for you. Sorry You're really going to miss out because we have fun on more market lines. And when I say we, I mean me because I'm all alone. And we, we are all alone in this together. Thanks for listening and stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Since season three began, I have been talking about worms and retroviruses being the combined cause of Morgulons. You could say I have a strong gut feeling and that is not just the worms crawling around in there. But gut feelings, as good as they are, are not science. And I'm not claiming to be conducting science, but I am doing a little bit of, you know, if my theory, my hypothesis is HTLV plus worms, probably strongyloides equals morgulons, then I have to try to prove it wrong. Like, for instance, if that is untrue, then the worldwide distribution of Morgulons, the retroviruses, and the worms would not overlap. However, this family of retroviruses, the HTLV viruses, 1, 2, 3, and 4, as well as 
the distribution and prevalence in endemic areas, regions worldwide with strongyloides, a type of parasitic worm, as well as morgulons, the worldwide distribution of which we really don't have very good data on. From 2010, you can find on the morgulons-research.org this site on the internet, I believe used to be um, the site that Mary Lado, the mother of Morgulons, uh, established back in the Dizay, like 2001 or something, when she realized that something was up with her kids because they had bugs or something that seemed like bugs or strings or something embedded in their skin. Um, she went on to form the Morgulons Research Foundation in 2010, the most uh, recent data I can find about their survey on epidemiology is as follows. 60% of Morgulon's patients were from the USA. They say that there's 18,498 worldwide. Uh, okay, sorry, this is updated. This was started in 2009 and updated in April 2013. 14% more Morgulons afflicted more men plus younger people since last year, same time. Interesting. So that's an update. They're just saying that like it used to be older women. And now they're saying over time that 14% more Morgulons patients were men, not women. And they were younger people, not middle-aged old folks like me. Um they also found, so this is the updated data, I believe, uh, but around, let's just call it from 2009 to 2013 sometime. Um, 60% were from USA, 16% were from Canada, 15% were from Australia, Oceania, 6% were from Europe, 1% were from Latin America, 1% were from Asia, 1% were from South Africa. The results above do not show the true nature or number of all worldwide concern. This is only a compilation of all participants in this latest MRO questionnaire, and it may change and be updated as we gather more information. So this is interesting. I mean, that would sort of fall in line for the most part with my very small data set. I have about the listenership to this show, assuming that most listeners are more lines. Remember, if you will, my distribution goes something like this. Number one, United States. Number two, Canada, then India, then Puerto Rico, then Russia, then United Kingdom, then Brazil, then Belize, then Chile, then Australia, then Germany, then Ireland, then Chechia, then Ukraine, then Iraq, then Sweden, Netherlands, Singapore, Italy, Finland, Denmark, Belgium, Japan, and France. It has actually changed since last time we spoke. So, but the point is, remember those countries. Just remember those countries, okay? Because it's going to keep, you're going to keep hearing about them when we learn about the worldwide distribution of HLTV viruses and of strongyloides infection, which just so happen to be common co-infections with one another. There is a geographic overlap between these three diseases. And sure, it doesn't prove um, my theory about Morgulons by any stretch of the imagination, but my theory could be easily disproved if the, uh, you know, distribution globally didn't overlap as it does Listen to this. Uh, the European CDC 
undertook a study of the prevalence of HTLV-1 uh, across the globe in 2015. And I, it is a technical report, 30 pages long. They spent a lot of time on this shit. Um, they, I'm not going to go like, you know, really, really deep into this 30 page report. Cause I ain't going to even do y'all like that. Um, but let me just read to you a couple of things. HTLV-1 is not a ubiquitous virus. It is present throughout the world with clusters of high endemicity, often located near areas where the virus is almost absent. Endemicity just means like there's a cluster like in this area where it's real concentrated. Lots of people have it, okay? Um, In these foci, that just means like these focused areas of these clusters, foci, the HTLV-1 seroprevalence, so how prevalent it is in the blood when you test people, in adults is estimated to be at least 1% to 2%. That's a lot of people, y'all, right? Like in Atlanta, I think there's about 6 million people, 1% to 2%. That's a lot of people. Uh, but it can also reach 20 to 40% among people aged over 50 and in specific clusters. Interesting. Older people. The main highly endemic areas are the southwest part of Japan, some parts of the Caribbean and its surrounding regions. There are foci in South America, especially in parts of Colombia and French Guyana. Some rare isolated clusters in Australia and Melanesia. In Europe, the only country with an endemic HTLV-1 region is Romania. The origin of this puzzling geographical or rather ethnic repartition is not well understood, but is probably linked to a founder effect in some groups followed by the persistence of a high viral transmission rate. Interestingly, and despite different socioeconomic and cultural environments, HTLV seroprevalence increases gradually with age, especially in women, in all the highly endemic areas. The general increase with age may be related to a cohort effect, as is well demonstrated in Japan, while the increase seen in older women might also be due to an accumulation of sexual exposures with age. So HTLV, uh, just to remind you, can be spread by mother-to-child transmission, sexual transmission, which we think might be more prevalent from a man giving it to a woman and that the older, the more times a woman is exposed to it, the more likely it is that she's going to have the seropositive result for HTLV virus one in her blood and then transmission with contaminated blood products. So if you're an IV drug user, if you have received a transplant organ, uh, if you have received blood, um, anything like that, or if you're a healthcare worker who has been subject to a, you know, needle stick injury or some other exposure to a bloodborne, uh, you know, blood, 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 bloodborne pathogens, perhaps HDLV1 in this case. So in short, they went around now, they, you know, to perform the requested task and to obtain as much objective data as possible, the ECDC have collected data from literature on the prevalence of HTLV infection in the general population and first-time blood donors and in other population groups, regular blood donors or pregnant women. The data retrieved were used to compile a list of high-prevalence and low-prevalence countries and areas and to identify those countries with no data or no reliable data. The evidence and lists were critically evaluated and discussed with an ad hoc group of experts during a consultation meeting. The ECDC then developed world and continent maps showing the status of HTLV-1 seroprevalence in countries and areas worldwide. 
So the following criteria for prevalence classification were used. So high prevalence in this case is that a prevalence of over 1% in the general population or prevalence of over 1 in 10,000 among first-time blood donors. And then low prevalence was considered a prevalence below 1% in the general population or prevalence of below 1 in 10,000 among first-time blood donors. So basically they're just saying that like, it has been found in areas, the following areas, in where this is what we're defining as high prevalence, this is what we're defining as it's prevalent, but it's a lower number. So when you look at the map, starting with the Americas, uh, North America, it's in Canada, it's in the U.S., low prevalence, Not no data, no reliable data for Mexico. We don't know if it's there, okay? Um, then this says... There are areas, though, in North America with high prevalence spots. This is 2015 data, right? Guess what they are? North Dakota, Wyoming, Nevada, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and my neighbor, Alabama. Fuck you, Alabama. Um, so it's present in the U.S. It's present in Canada. It's especially present, or it was in 2015, in those areas, those states that I just named, ironically, interestingly, if you go on Google Trends, which allows you to search the popularity of search terms and the trends over time, and you look up Morgulons as a search term, you will see an interesting prevalence of uh, the regions looking up Morgulons. There is some correlation here. Wyoming, Nevada, North Dakota, Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana. These places were, it's interesting. When you look at the trends over time, 2015, I, I actually think that there might be, there might be some overlap there, but uh, in more recent studies, it's, it's happening in colder places, y'all, uh, up in the Northeast, uh, in Alaska, um, in the Northwest. So, you know, this data is only as good as, as, you know, they didn't go out there and go door to door and, you know, ask people. No, they said we reviewed the literature about it, right? Stuff that other people have studied, you know, um, basically first time blood donors, you know, they test, they started testing them in 1988 in the United States, at least they started testing blood donors to make sure they didn't have HTLV type viruses before they could donate blood. And if they did, they banned them from ever donating blood. Um, that's probably true around the world in, you know, other years. It wasn't, these viruses were not, they were the first retroviruses ever discovered and they were discovered in 1980. So, you know, there are some places that are probably not testing for them. That's probably why, you know, Mexico, they're saying we have no data. You know, they may not be testing for this. So how would they get the data? Okay. Then it moves to, uh, the pre the prevalence in South America. Okay. South America. Guess what guys? Uh Oh, Sorry. Pretty high in South America. Pretty high in South America. Brazil, Chile, y'all are there. Um, Argentina's there. Uh, Belize, you're there. Um, sorry, Belize. Uh, and a whole bunch of other places, y'all. whole bunch of other places. Peru, Trinidad, Uruguay, uh, Uruguay. No, just kidding. Venezuela. Okay, so then you go down to uh, Europe right? Romania is super high, but it's also prevalent, not as that, not that high prevalence as they define it, but, but still prevalent, lower prevalence in, uh, all the European countries pretty much. Okay. 
pretty much all the European countries. France, Germany, Italy, Spain, uh, Finland, Netherlands, all of that, all that, all that, all that, all that. Um, actually, Finland, I don't see on here. They don't have any data for Finland. Uh, it doesn't say that they don't have it. it. just says that we don't have any data about Finland. Um, Belgium is on here. Uh, UK is on here. Is on here. Um, so, yeah, pretty much all of Europe. You go down to Africa, you see big fat clusters of high prevalence in West Africa and South Africa. Remember, South Africa was one of the places that the Morgulans people found in 2010. Um, you know, who knows what that means, but who knows how good their data is. Uh, and then it goes into basically Asia. They're saying it's in China, it's in India, it's really a lot in, um, I believe that would be Iran. Uh, it's in Taiwan. It's really high in Japan as well. Uh, and then it's also got regions of China with super high, super high regions. Uh, Gong, Gongdong, isn't that where coronavirus started? Uh, I cannot, these, this, this writing is too small. Y'all are going to have to check it out yourselves. It's also in Australia. It's also in Papua New Guinea. It's also in the little islands around there. Um, so this, this is all over the world. Uh, it's 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 higher prevalent in it, higher prevalence in the United States than it is Canada, according to this study. You guys look this up. Look this up because um, if you look it up, ecdc.europa.eu and it's um, you know distribution of HTLV one. It, it, it's a very interesting. When you go down that list, you'll find it matching up with what I told you guys were my. Uh, distribution for my small data set. All right, guys, I'm running out of time, but just to recap today's episode, we're talking about the theory that not just these retroviruses, the HTLV viruses, one, two, three, and four. Types three and four, they have not yet identified or linked any disease with them. What if type three and four when combined with the co-infection, which is common in all types of HTLV, as far as from what I have read, uh, the common uh, co-infection with strongyloides, which causes the strongyloides infestation to become a hyperinfection with dissemination throughout the body, often almost always fatal uh, when it is finally detected after uh, the people with it are, you know, when people cease to stop saying they're delusional, when the eyeballs start, you know, coming out of their corpses, eye sockets, or whatever the hell, you know, happens to people who die of hyperinfection with strongyloides and possibly co-infection with HTLV. Maybe, you know, like the Turkish guy that I dated for a while, he had this, he said, very quickly progressing an aggressive form of MS. Maybe what he had was tropical spastic paresis and HTLV-associated demyelination. So, you know, we don't know that, but it is a sexually transmitted disease. Um, one listener commented recently uh, who remained to, who wanted to remain anonymous, though, that, you know, HTLV-3 uh, is synonymous with HIV. That, I can understand why you, many lay people and even health professionals are confused about this because the early, the early literature on HIV sometimes referred to it as HTLV3. However, HIV and HTLV3 are not synonymous. They are not the same virus, even though they were discovered 
at similar times, and they can both be spread in the same ways, through blood, through mother-to-child transmission, and through sexual contact. Types 3 and 4 of HTLV are recently discovered, and it is unknown what diseases they cause. Could one of those diseases be Morgulon's when combined with a strongyloides infection, which has already been established by the research literature, that they tend to coexist and that infection with the virus makes infection with the worm much, much worse? Could some people infected with type 3 and type 4 of the virus and also infected by strongyloides worms develop what we call Morgulon's? Nobody knows, but there's a way to find out. Just basic research basic research, guys. Even the CDC study found eight people with strongyloides, which is a notoriously, as you will soon learn as we talk more tomorrow about strongyloides infection, you will learn how fucking difficult it is to diagnose. And even the CDC study, which if you'll remember, actually did clinical evaluations on a whopping, what was it? 31? I believe, people, um, they found strongyloides in eight of them. And again, it's extremely, notoriously, infamously underdiagnosed. That's like 16%, y'all, in the, the definite eight that they found. And it's a delusion of a parasite? No, that's called a parasite. 16% of the people in your shitty study even had parasites, right? It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Um, I don't know if Strongyloides is the worm that is the one of or the causative agent of Morgulons, but I know that there is some kind of worm because it's in my house. It's in my yard. It's in my car. It's in my toilet bowl. It's in my skin. And it's either in my hair or is my hair. Not sure could be in my brain. I don't know. But I know that I'm sharp. I'm bright. I'm bold. And I'm not delusional. I'm a little colorful. I'm a little weird. I'm a little out there. But I'm not delusional. I know what I'm seeing. I know what I'm feeling. I know my body. And my brain makes connections pretty fast. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the archetypes as Carl Jung described them, or uh, if you're familiar with the Myers-Briggs personality test or the Enneagram, as it is called. It's a very interesting concept, that Enneagram. It's another derivative of, you know, a personality metric that was uh, based upon the, developed based upon the ideas of Carl Jung. And uh, of those archetypes uh, in the Enneagram, I am the investigator. That is my... That is my archetype. I, I, my personality is one that is very probing, very cerebral, and um, very curious, very visionary. And um, like I said, I'm having a vision about this. And, you know, I'm going to explore this, this vision and this intuition. Uh, and I'm going to probe it. And I'm going to investigate it. And I'm going to try to prove it wrong. Because... I don't want to be right, you guys. I don't want to be right because, well, for one thing, uh, like this whole strongyloides and HTLV, they're fucking scary, man. (laughs) 
This ain't no, like, just you got some glitter in your skin. Like, these, these things are on their own, usually asymptomatic. Isn't that the crazy thing? In, in most people with strongyloides and most people with um, uh, uh, HTLV, they never know it. Right? They never know it, which would explain why some people that are members of the same family don't seem to have Morgulons. Well, maybe they do, but it's just they're, you know, they, they, they're not exhibiting the signs and symptoms. As we just read, it's older women. Increasingly, as you go up the age scale of women, the, those are the people that have Morgulons. Although, some evidence may be suggesting that more men and younger people are getting it. I will tell you, the demographics of the listenership beyond the region of more Morgulons are... Uh, counterintuitive 70 over 70 percent male uh, that's been consistent since this podcast began uh you know in august so i don't know if that's because i'm just such an enchanting lady but um but but it would suggest you know based on our callers uh we've had we, we've had four listeners call in and that we've met um two of them were male two of them were female no, I'm sorry, five, five listeners. Three of them were male. Two of them were female. One of the listeners, though, did not have Morgulons. So half and half is what, uh, you know, so far seems to be the distribution of uh, N of four. Not a great study. That's why I need you guys to uh, give me some stars, give me some, leave me some reviews, tell your friends, tell your family. And they'll be like, what? What is this? Why did you recommend this to me? Um, but yeah, I mean, it it is important though, that this conversation happens. And I know, you know, our friend Jeremy over at Morgulon's discussion, he's got a podcast about it. Check him out. Uh, you know, there's tons of people on YouTube, uh, check them out. But, but at the same time, you know, put your own information out there. Like this, this, this whole thing is, is completely frustrating and the only thing that seems to relieve the feelings of isolation and frustration are connecting with other morgies and learning more about what they've experienced and knowing that you're not the only one and uh it's not just about that though it's like this information could be helpful (laughs) in determining whether or not theories like mine are you know valid or or false and um, again, like the reason why I don't want it to be my theory is because I want it to just be the truth. I just want to know the truth. I just want to know what Morgulons is so we can move towards uh, curing this fucking psycho bizarro insane nightmare. <laughs> um, and sort of maybe weird gift. You know, there are some good things. There's always... The glass is half full and half empty. And then half of it is like filled with Morgulons because these things are everywhere, y'all. Winter birds. I've said it before. They are winter birds. It's cold as fucking Atlanta. All right. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned. Tomorrow we're talking about worms.